What's up? It's Willie McGinnis, three-time Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots, and I'm hanging out with my man Chris Palme, okay? Chris does a podcast, 30 Minutes Live with CDP Podcast, every Wednesday and Friday night on Twitter, Facebook, and his YouTube channel. Make sure everybody tunes in, okay, to my man Chris Palme's podcast. Again, it's every Wednesday and Friday night on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Make sure you guys check them out. Hey, hello. Good afternoon. Welcome uh, to uh, Live with CDP uh, podcast on this Wednesday, December 1st. I had to check my uh, watch again, but Wednesday, December 1st. I'm looking forward to my podcast today uh, with Howard Simon, uh, the longtime co-host of Howard and Jeremy on WGR 550 in Buffalo, uh, Monday to Friday from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And uh, Howard's also a huge New York Mets fan. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about the Bills with him, maybe a preview with the Patriots game, and also maybe a little Sabres hockey and uh, what's going on with his New York Mets. So if you guys can just give me a minute, I will bring on Howard Simon from uh, uh, WJR what, right now. Good afternoon, Howard. How you doing? Good, Chris. How you doing? Good. Thank you so much again for coming on. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me. No problem. Yeah, and sometimes with technology, things do happen. So I, I always try to be prepared. So we're using this with the phone, which is the crazy angle on the camera. I apologize, but you're dealing with someone who can listen in on Zoom and StreamYard, but I can't figure out how to get my mic to work. So you're stuck with the old way, the phone way. That's okay, too. I've had a few other guys uh, uh, come on with their phones, too. So like I said, I'm just looking forward to uh, speaking to you as well. Are you okay with about 35, 40 minutes? Sure. Time-wise? Okay. Yeah. Um. I was going to start off with the Bills, obviously, because uh, they got the biggest game of the year coming up on Monday Night Football against their rivals that are back from the dead, the New England Patriots. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on this uh, matchup this Monday night at High Highmark Stadium. It's a huge game. Uh, you know, obviously, it's critical for, for the Bills in terms of their division. We didn't. I, I didn't. I don't think a lot of us thought this game would be that important at this point in the schedule. But New England's playing a lot better than I anticipated. So, it is a very big contest. I mean, the Bills need to play more consistent football. They've been a roller coaster ride. Obviously, they're they're in second, so they need this to get back into first place. And let alone, you know, a one seed discussion at some point, hopefully. But um, they they need to show that they're better than New England and beat the Patriots head to head is one way to do that. It's a it's a really big game because if you lose this, you have to split with New England. Really, realistically, I think to win the division. You're playing Tampa after this. This that's a really tough game, especially with no Trey White. So if they if they don't win this one Monday night, um, they're in for some tough sledding, and they really have to win in Foxborough later this season. I was gonna say, and and Josh Allen is still having a pretty good season, but his last six games, uh, he's thrown I think eight interceptions. And the New England Patriots have a ball hawking defense. That's my biggest concern. If I was a Bills fan, is the turnovers. Yeah, and it's not all on him. Brian Dale was asked about that uh, on his Zoom call this week, and he he was asked a few different things. And a couple times, he you know he came back to whatever it was, eight turnovers in the last four games, whatever the number was that he cited, and he said something to the effect of, you know, if if you think those are all on Josh Allen, you're wrong. So you know there are other issues. It's not just you know he's made some head scratching decisions. I thought uh, he has played well for the most part, but yeah, the last few games, if you look at the biggest problem in this up and down stretch where they've had, you know, the Jacksonville game, for example, and some of their offensive struggles, um, even at points, the Indy game, there are times where they're moving the ball and they're stopping themselves, whether it was penalties on offense or turnovers could be fumbles, not just Josh throwing an interception. Um, there, there are just, they, they seem to be more self-inflicted wounds than anything. So if they clean up that part of their game, you're right. New England does take the ball away very well. But if they clean up that part of the game, I think that'll help get the production back up because their TD percentage, their you know points per drive percentage, that stuff's gone down a little bit. I think it's more about what's happening to them, what they're doing rather than what opponents are doing to them. Um, I was going to say um, the Patriots have been winning a lot of games, but a lot of their opponents haven't been playing good football. And obviously the Titans have had some key injuries as well. What's the status on the Bills for this game for Monday Night Housewives? Well, hopefully they get some key guys back. We'll see. You know, the good news about was was about uh, Starla Tulele and um, Spencer Brown coming off the COVID list, so that's good. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to play Monday, 
just means they're back and they're practicing. You know, what shape are they in? They've been out for a couple of weeks, unable to practice. Um, I guess this is now a good thing where you have the, the game on Monday, not on Sunday. It gives you an extra day. So hopefully these guys will be okay uh, to play, if not full-time. Some Well, Star wouldn't be on the field, obviously, for every snap. But um, hopefully they'll both be okay to play Monday night because it's big. You want Star out there for the run defense. But I also think he's done a really good job pushing the pocket in the pass rush, too. So you'd like to have him back. You need some some stoutness up front on your line. And Spencer Brown, as a rookie, has been a revelation. He's really come in and done a great job at right tackle. And I think that would solve two problems. One, it looks like Darrell Williams is struggling at right tackle. He's probably better suited at guard at this point. So you could put him back at guard. You put Brown back at right tackle. And one of the key guys you got to stop in this game is Matthew Judon. He has been a great pickup for New England. He is wrecking offenses. He's sacking quarterbacks. He's getting pressures. You'd like to have Spencer Brown, I think, out there as opposed to Darrell Williams to try and handle Judon when he lines up on that side. And then the other guy is Feliciano, too. You know, he's practicing. He's not off IR yet. But if you get him back, Chris, then you're looking at what they think are the five best guys to have on the offensive line. And for this game against that front, that would be really important for the Bills. I really think this game's going to come down to the lines, the O-line and the and the D-lines as well. Yeah, and their O-line's playing well. You know, um, yeah, that's why I say I think it's important if you could get Star back or maybe, you know, we were talking about this a little bit today, depending on whether Star plays or not. You know, the Bills uh, put Bryant and uh, Anku in the lineup the other day, and that, that gave a little more size and physicality. I thought it was interesting how Leslie Frazier, on his Zoom call, when he was asked about those guys, brought up size and physicality, and that's not something the Bills had a lot on the defensive line. If you put Obata or Basham at times inside, they're not the biggest guys in the world, obviously. You'd like to have some 300-plus pounders in there. So I think the line line play is always important, right? Um, but in terms of how you're going to be able to defend New England and, and maybe stopping the run, I wonder if the Bills will look to keep some beef in the middle of the defensive line. And it's maybe more about that as opposed to, you know, what you're getting out of your edge rushers because, you know, um, I think Mac Jones has done a pretty good job of avoiding sacks. He's pretty good at getting the ball out quickly, decisively. They don't make him stand in the pocket very long. So sacks probably not happening, hopefully pressures. But I think the interior of that line is something to keep an eye on for Monday night. Oh, I think crowd noise, too, might be a factor, yeah. too. Yeah, well, yeah, Jeremy, my, my partner, made a great point. You know, Mac Jones has not had this environment from the pros. Now, he's played in noisy stadiums. He was at Alabama. So, you know, playing at LSU and some of the places he would have played at in, in college, I'm sure he's played in pressure atmospheres, clutch, uh, big games, noisy crowds on the road. He's dealt with all that. But, you know, whatever. The NFL game, this is – he has not, I think, experienced anything like he will experience um, at Highmark Stadium Monday night with 70,000 crazy Bills fans. And the pressure that comes with, they're the team on top now, right? He's getting a lot of uh, hype right now about his season, and they're the first-place team coming in. So that's a lot of pressure on a young quarterback. We'll see how he handles that situation. He has not been in that place yet. I was also going to say, um, you know Belichick's going to take away the, the Bills' offensive strengths or try to with the receivers and stuff like that. Do you think the Bills will try to establish a running game, or do you think they'll call more plays for Allen or maybe some broken plays for Allen to run with the ball as well? I don't know what if, if they would – I mean, I'm sure they're going to want to run the ball a little bit. I don't wouldn't expect – I wouldn't expect run heavy. Now, look, if the weather forecast, there might be some snow. They're talking about maybe – Windy conditions, 15, 20 miles an hour, maybe gust of 40 or 45. If it's a really windy day at the stadium, that makes it a little problematic to pass. But I would think they'll stick to their identity. You know, Josh's legs are, are very important if they're going to run some uh, design runs with him. Those are pretty successful for the Bills. Um, you know, will they? I'm sure, again, I think they'll want to run the ball, but establish the run. I don't know about that. I think you'd be getting away from your true identity, and that is to throw the football. My, my guess is. You know, if they're going to take away somebody, you'd think it would be Diggs at the top of their list. Oh, yeah. I would still throw the ball to him because J.C. Jackson's having a hell of a year, but he, he had trouble against Diggs last year in the game in Foxborough. So I'd still throw the ball. I'd stay true to my identity. And if they do somehow negate Diggs, well, you still got Sanders and Beasley and Knox and McKenzie. And I think the depth of your targets is better than the depth of their secondary at cornerback. 
I was going to say one thing, Howard, too. The Titans' backup guys ran for over 200 yards against the Patriots' defense. So their defense is very good, but I don't think they're unbeatable. They do have some chinks in the armor. Yeah, that was a little surprising. And and I think, A, because it was backups, and B, because New England, if they didn't think it going in, but as the game is wearing on, you can see they're not having a great day throwing the football. So you would have known they're probably going to keep running, and they still couldn't stop them. Um, the fumbles is what hurt Tennessee. They were ripping off some big run plays. Unfortunately, they were having ball security issues at the end of a couple of those big run plays. So, and I get that. And I, you know, I, I thought about that too, Chris, if the bills are watching that get, well, the bills would see it on tape anyway. Are yeah. they thinking, okay, here's a weakness. Let's tr- really try and exploit this and run the ball. But I think Tennessee's offensive line is pretty good when it comes to run blocking. The bills have had some issues up front. I I'd still would not expect a shift in the game plan. Um, away from throwing the football, but we'll see if they, if the one thing I like about Dayball, I mean, he says it, and I think he does stick to that. You know, they do look at each opponent. What's the best way to beat them? Typically the best way for the bills to win the game is to throw the football, their receivers, their tight end, their quarterback and the passing game. It's better than their running game. If they see some reason where new England, they think is extremely vulnerable to the run. Yeah, I would see them try and design a few more plays that way, but I, I wouldn't expect it. I would think they're still going to throw the ball. And another thing, I, I'm my two cents on this is uh, the Patriots have a solid running game in Harris, Damian Harris, and uh, Stevenson. If the Bills can contain those two guys yeah. and put more pressure on Jones to do it, I think that would increase the Bills' chances of winning the game because yeah. the Patriots' wide receivers don't exactly scare anybody. No, they wouldn't, uh, and I think they're they're good. Well, they're better than they were last year for sure. Yes. Well, Myers, Myers was around last year, but Myers is good. He's a good deep threat. Um, Kendrick Bourne's been a nice pickup for them, so I think they've definitely upgraded their receiving core from last year, and they do have a couple nice tight ends. Hunter Henry's having a good season for them, and John U. Smith, at least the other day, I caught their game against the Titans, and he had a nice game against Tennessee. They Maybe they're They were talking about maybe they're going to start working him into their passing game a little bit more. So they have good weapons, but I'm with you. I think most people look, Mac Jones has been in the position where I think they, we had a stat on our show today. Our producer, Corey Griswold came up, found this stat somewhere. It said new England's been down more than one score in only two games out of 12. And one of those games they come back to win, it was Houston. And that was less about Mac Jones rallying them and more about David Culley making some boneheaded coaching decisions. In the other game where they were down against New Orleans by more than one score, they lost. So Matt Jones hasn't been in the position where they've been down that often by more than seven points. And he's had to, assuming you, this is what you meant, Chris, throw them back into the game. Mm. I don't know if he can do it. I hope this is the case Monday. I'd like to see the Bills build a lead because if it comes down to they stop running and they have to throw, 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 I, I like the Bills' chances even better. Definitely. I think the first quarter is going to be huge. If the Bills can get off to a, a good lead and get the crowd really more engaged, that might help their odd, help their chances too. But I also think uh, they can't afford to turn the ball over at all. They have to make sure they uh, hold on to the ball or don't throw any bad interceptions or try not to anyways. Yeah, that's, you know, obviously you want to play as clean a football game as you can and, and limit your mistakes. And you know, as I said, it's not all Josh's fault, but mm-hmm. the multiple interception games have not really been a problem for him for a while until this last stretch of three or four games when, you know, things have kind of added up for those picks. So as long as they don't have like Tennessee, you know, Tennessee is undermanned as they were. We're down three at the half. They're in that game somehow, amazingly. And it turns out they end up losing by whatever it was, 20 points or so. They had turnovers. They turned the ball over four times, four or five times in that game. Clearly, the Bills can't do that. New England's a really good football team. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to shorten the field for them, but more importantly, your offense is going to leave the field with no points on all of those possessions. That's not a good recipe. And I think one of the key guys in this game is going to be Cole Beasley. I think he's going to be a called upon uh, to make those uh uh, critical third down catches. And I, I have a feeling he's going to have a big game on uh, Monday night against new England. Yeah. I mean, that's wondering, we, you know, he's playing hurt, right. And it's been, there have been times where his snap count has been down and he just doesn't seem to have as the role that he had last year in this offense. Again, I'm going to guess it's more about the injury than anything. He's tough to defend. We know that sounds like they've been playing a little more zone 
defensively lately for whatever reason. And we know that one thing called one of the things Cole Beasley is very good at is finding soft spots in the zone, running a few yards, sitting, turning, and he is a great target. So you're right, maybe. I think I, I think if they're going to take Diggs out, you know, I would think that would open the door for Sanders um, or maybe even Dawson Knox. Knox has had a great season, and I don't know if they put Duggar on him or what their matchup issue is with, with what they would decide to do with a matchup with Knox, but that's a nice thing. You know, you mentioned Cole Beasley. There are options. If for some reason they neutralize Diggs, it is not the end of the game for the Bills. They, they do have other personnel that they can use. Gabriel Davis. I think a lot of fans mm-hmm. would like to see more targets and, and more plays for Gabriel Davis because he's a really talented young receiver. So there would be some other options available. What about Isaiah McKenzie? Uh, he was yeah. a scratch against the Saints. Is he going to be back uh, on the roster? He's going to be back on the, in the lineup for Monday night? That's a good question. I would think he would. Um, you know, for like, you know, I know he had the fumble, but he's been pretty good in terms of handling the ball. He's been very good as a returner. You know, I thought that was going to be an interesting, um, it could have been a big loss because I thought Andre Roberts did a great job returning, but McKenzie's been productive. Mm-hmm. I would think, I'm going to guess that could have been just a message sent, light a fire, we're going to put the rookie in. You know, if you go, uh, it's such a big game. It's national TV. It's a huge game with the division rival that everybody wants to beat. I'm not sure they want a, a, a rookie like Stevenson back there handling kicks. It's going to be windy at the stadium, whether it's crazy windy or just 15 to 20 miles an hour. You know, and that's a tricky place to deal with the winds. I'd like to have a more experienced guy back there returning punts and kicks. So if it were up to me, I would play McKenzie in this game. I wouldn't play Stevenson. And McKenzie, you want to run some jet sweeps? Great. He can get some touches for and use his speed. If, you know, you want another option in the passing game or maybe Beasley is banged up and you have to watch his snaps, throw McKenzie in the slot. I would definitely play him Monday night. Definitely. Uh, Another thing I wanted to bring up with you too on this uh, question, Howard, I think special teams is going to be huge, especially if the weather conditions uh, are not perfect either. Well, their special teams are good. You know, both kickers are good in this game, actually. Um, Tyler Bass, we know how strong his leg is and, you know, now he's had, you know, obviously a lot of home games to get used to the swirling winds at the stadium. Nick Folk is having a great season for them. I was looking at his numbers today. He has yet to miss a kick under 50 yards. He's 26 of 26. He's 5 of 8, 50 plus. So he's been great. Um, their return game's pretty good. Their coverage units, we know in the, you know, they blocked a punt here a few years ago and returned it. So, uh, but the Bills special teams has been good as, they've been good as well. I, I think, I don't see. I don't think I see a really decided edge when it comes to special teams in this game. The biggest issue might be what happens to the kicking game, punting and place kicking, based on what the wind conditions are like Monday night. You might see a few more fourth down gambles. And yeah, you might see less field goals attempted. Right? How is is this going to be one of those games where if you win the toss, you want to make sure you got the wind at your back in the fourth quarter? You know, so depending on how that plays out. We'll see what how it affects the punters and the kickers for, for this game. Maybe you do see less field goals and more fourth down attempts to keep drives going. My prediction it's going to be a low scoring game. Yeah, I don't know. You would think, right? Because the two good defenses. I don't know. I I wouldn't think it would be that low scoring. Um, again, we'll see. If if it is low scoring, I think it might be more about the the weather conditions. Yeah. Then you know, I think these are. What are they? I think they're one and two or two and three and scoring defense in the league right now. I, I still think that you'd see, you say low scoring, what, both under 20? I would say 16 to 10, something like yeah. that. 16, 13, between 26 and 29 points. I'm going to go higher. I, I would still think at least, I think both teams will get into the 20s. I'm not sure if someone will get into the 30s, but I would think they'll get into the mid to upper 20s in this game. But again, unless there's crazy weather Monday night. Yes, that can uh, affect, uh, especially in that stadium. The winds can definitely affect the punting game and the in the field goal game yeah. as well. So, okay, um, I was going to say my next question I wanted to ask you is what has who's been the biggest surprise on the bill so far, and maybe somebody who's been a disappointment or just not had a, a good a season as they did last year. Well, I think there's a few guys for surprises. We touched on one, Knox. You know, I think yeah. with Dawson Knox, everybody can see the skill set. We were just looking for consistency, obviously, you know, the drops and everything, although he was better last year. He really improved from year one to year mm-hmm. two. The question was, 
what would he do from year two to year three? And he's had a really, it's, it's a breakout year. He's really been a great weapon in the red zone in the passing offense in general, you know, when he's out, that hurts the bills offense. So I think Knox isn't a surprise because we knew he had the, the ability, Chris, but he's hit another level, a more consistent level in his game this season. I mean, I didn't, there's no way I thought we were going to get to the middle of the season and talk about how critical it was that Spencer Brown did not miss a game. I didn't think this guy would play barring injury. Um, a rookie tackle would play this season, but he's, be, he's become a really important part. He's played extremely well at a tough position for a rookie. And when he was out, it hurt the line. So I think he's been a big surprise. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who else. Maybe, I was going to say maybe at Oliver, but again, it's it's kind of like Knox. Oliver was talented, but now you're seeing consistency from him, right? Mm-hmm. You're seeing the, play, the, 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 um, the flash plays or the big moments more often in football games. I think he was tremendous against New Orleans. He's been really good against the run. He's been shedding blockers. He's been creating pressure and, and helping out with the pass rush. I think he's, he's had the season that people said this kid really needed to have uh, to help this defense. So I think he's been good disappointments. Ah, you know, I, I guess if I had to come up with one, yeah, maybe Deion Dawkins. And I don't know if this all goes back to, you know, to COVID and the, you know, the bout he had with COVID was serious back in the summer when he came back, he talked about how there were days he thought he wasn't going to make it and he lost a lot of weight and he missed a lot of time. And I don't know, maybe, I don't know if that sets you back, Chris. And if you miss all that time in camp and prep and you lose the weight, maybe it can still affect you down the road because he's struggling, you know, with blocking. He's had some penalties and that's not Deion Dawkins. This guy is a really good offensive lineman. So, but, but something's a little bit off in his game. So I guess that would be uh, in terms of the disappointments, I guess that would one, be one name I would throw out there. Okay. One thing I forgot to ask you, uh, Traverius White is gone for the year and that's a huge loss. Who's going to fill in for him uh, for the rest of the year in his position? Well, right now it's going to be Dane Jackson, uh, based on what Leslie Frazier was saying on Monday. And we'll see how it plays out. I, I don't know that in this game it's that big a deal. Like you said earlier, you wouldn't look at the receivers for New England and go, boy, they're screwed if he has to stop fill in the blank guy. Again, they're good receivers, but this yes. is not Tampa. Like when, no. they, when they play Tampa and we're sitting here going, oh my, Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. Now granted, they, could, they, they, they play zone more than man, but Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, maybe Antonio Brown, whoever you want to throw in there. That's a tough matchup for those guys. So I don't think it's as big a deal in this game, but Dane Jackson will be the guy. And look, in a very limited sample size, he's played well. You know, last season he was he was in he was moved into the starting lineup for a little bit. He handled himself well. He seemed to show the ability to to cover guys, um, good ball recognition, plays physical enough, can help out in the run stops. So, you know, there's no way you're going to replace Trey White. Um, Dane Jackson isn't Trey White. Levi Wallace isn't Trey White. So it's it's a big loss for the Bills. This, but the security blanket is also you have one of the best, if not the best, safety tandem in the National Football League to help out these cornerbacks in Poyer and and Hyde. Definitely. Uh, I have a gut feeling in the first quarter. I think McDaniel and Belichick might try to exploit White being out early in the game and see if they can uh, uh, get some uh, big plays against uh, Dane Jackson, like he said he was uh, filling in. I would. I mean, it makes sense. Again, it's they don't necessarily play a lot of man, but you would think you would be throwing, you know, you would throw his way. I. You know, Levi Wallace has done pretty well this season. I know sometimes mm-hmm. he gets a little flack because he has these stretches where you think, you know, maybe he's having some problems. But I think Levi has done a good job. Now, he's thrust into a higher role. You know, he's the number one cornerback now. But yeah, I would expect, you know, you would throw. Why wouldn't you? You would test Dane Jackson to see what the kid's got and see if he's up to the task. Okay. And that leads to my next question. Um so far this season, after 11 games, the Bills are 7-4. and four. What is your biggest concern as a fan and uh, a radio personality, a media, uh, covering this 2021 Bills team so far? I think the consistency. It's just been a weird team. You know, when they win, they blow teams out. When they lose, with the exception of the Colts game, they lose close games. You know, there is, you know, the, the Pittsburgh loss in week one. The Jacksonville loss, of course, will come to mind. I, I wouldn't have been shocked that they lost to the Colts but they got thoroughly dominated in that game but if you look at 
the last seven games now, I think if you, I think this goes back to the Tennessee. I think it started with Kansas City, Tennessee. I think it's the last seven games they've gone win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, with New Orleans being the last game. Where's the consistency? This team has been, you know, somewhat of a roller coaster ride. And that's not what I expected. You know, you think about like last year's team, they had that Hail Mary loss. They came out of the bye. And man, they went on a roll. They never mm-hmm. lost again until the AFC Championship. And they really played tremendous football. This team has not had the ability to put together that many complete games. The Jets game, the Saints game, say what you want. The Jets are really bad. The Saints were depleted by injuries. But how often does that happen? Even in some of the wins, you know, the second Miami win, not a good first half, a better second half. The Jacksonville game was a disaster. The Colts game was a disaster. So I'm, I need to see them play more complete football and be more consistent because, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot on the line. It's, it's not out of the question. I mean, look at the standings right now that we're sitting here the rest of this month talking about whether or not, if they don't win Monday, we're talking about can they hold people off for a wild card spot? And I never thought we'd be having that discussion. And that leads to another question I wanted to ask you. Obviously, the expectations. Do you think the expectations and maybe the headlines uh, were getting to these guys in the offseason about how great yeah. they are? And, uh, like, I just was wondering about that. Maybe. I mean, there were, I don't know that. I really don't. Um, they're only human, so it's not out of the question. You know, they're, sure, professional athletes, focus, all that stuff. I get it, but they're human beings. If If they hear all the stuff that's being said and people keep patting them on the back and I guess it can affect maybe your focus and your preparation. Um, that's, and that's, you know, that would fall to the coaching staff to try and make sure these guys don't get caught up in the press clipping, so to speak. Maybe Chris, that could be it. I think there are other issues that I would explain it to explain the, the inconsistencies and in the roller coaster stuff, but it's not out of the question that, you know, I don't know how you lose to Jacksonville. I mean, sure. The first thing you would think of is they go in there thinking, all right, guys, let's just show up. We throw the balls out on the field. We're going to beat the Jaguars. But even if you thought that, wouldn't you have waken up at, you know, coming out of halftime and found a way to play 30 good minutes and win the game like they did against Miami here? So I, I don't know. It's, it's possible. It might be happening. But I, I tend to believe that's not the main reason as to what's going on this season. Well, like you said, the consistency, you're right about the consistency. And that. they now, now's the time they need to put this together because they've there's only what five, six games left, and then hopefully a playoffs. And the AFC, Howard, as you know, yeah. is all bunched up right now. Everybody's right. there's at least four or five teams that could get that number one seed. Well, that's why I, and I know I haven't been thinking about the one seed. I know there are Bills fans that are still thinking about the one seed. Maybe, you know, we had a big discussion last week. Are you root for Tennessee or New England? There were a lot of Bills fans who were saying they're rooting for New England because they want the one seed in play. And they figured the Bills are playing New England twice. They control their own destiny, beat New England. And I get that. But because of, like you said, if they don't win the division, there is a there's a lot of teams in that wild card race. You know, there are a lot of teams in that four loss, five loss. You want to throw in, I mean, the Colts are in the six loss group. And that four to six losses, and the Bills would lose a tiebreaker to the Colts. There's a lot of a lot of teams in contention there. In the hunt includes almost everybody in the conference at this point. So it's uh yeah, that's why I think, you know, the Monday night game is really huge because if they can't win the division and you're now fighting for the five, six, seven spot, there are a number of teams you're gonna be dealing with. And I guess the good good news, one of them is probably would, you know, Tennessee would probably win their division. You would lose a tiebreaker to them. If it's Indy, you lose a tiebreaker to them. And the Bills conference record right now, which is after head to head for the wild card, the conference record, a two team uh, wild card tie, the conference record is the next tiebreak. The Bills conference record is not good. They've got four AFC losses already. Now, if you lose to New England, that's five. You know, you really don't want to be worse than seven and five in the AFC for tiebreaker purposes. So, again, you're getting on thin ice here if they don't win Monday night for a number of reasons. And that leads to my next question, Howard, too. Um, this one, I, I, just a simple yes or no. Has what? Josh... You're going to ask a talk show host to answer a question with one word. Okay. Yes or... All right, I'll do my best. Go ahead. Okay, no problem. Uh, yes or no. Uh, do you believe Josh Allen has regressed this year? And is he feeling maybe a little more pressure with the monster contract that he signed in the off season to perform as well as he did in 2020? No. And maybe you said only one word I used. Three. Okay. 
Okay, I don't think he's regressed. And again, I think it would be natural to assume a guy gets that contract and you feel pressure to produce in any sport. You know, Max Scherzer's getting $40 million a year from the Mets. You're going to tell me he, he doesn't, you know, he won't feel the pressure, especially in New York, to have to go out and win every start next year, which, of course, he's not going to do. So it's only natural, you know, that for, for Josh to, you know, I'm not saying they think about the contract when the game is going on, but he's the franchise quarterback. The bar has been raised. He's in MVP discussions on a Super Bowl contender. And you're the guy that they invested all that money in. Yeah, sure. That puts pressure on him. And I think maybe, maybe it, I, I don't know if it do- directly leads to he's forcing a throw in a game because of a big contract. I doubt it. I think he's, he believes he can make plays and he throws the ball when he thinks he can make a good play for his team. And sometimes it doesn't work, but you, you know, that's gotta be, I would think that'd be natural to have to feel the pressure or, or the weight of some expectations when you get such a big contract. Cause his number numbers aren't exactly the same as last year, but they're pretty similar, but I guess just cause he's thrown a, a few more interceptions, but you're right. People always blame the quarterback on interceptions, but the receivers or tight ends can run the wrong, wrong, wrong right. route right. or a pass can get tipped it or a player on the, uh, the opposition team can make a great play too. So yeah. I, I guess you can't always just look at the, the number and say, Oh, he's throwing bad interceptions. You got to look at all the interceptions and the plays, like how exactly what how happened there. Yeah. I think he's playing well. I think he's having a good season. You know, if there's, it may, it gets maybe somewhat to the discussion of the running game. Have they put too much on Josh Allen's shoulders? I mean, he really does. Obviously the quarterback is the, the main point of the offense, but because they, I mean, they don't run the ball a lot when they do run the ball. It's been okay. You know, at times not great. Um, so may, you know, when they he's good, a good part of the running game, obviously. So maybe there's a little too much on him. I think he can handle it, and I do think he's having a good season. And his numbers are pretty—they're—they're they're around where they were last year in some statistical categories, depending on what you check. His some of his numbers are better than last season. Um, so, and they're still, you know, one of the higher scoring teams in the league. It's if I guess if there is one difference, it's he's throwing more interceptions. Are they going to carry three backs in this game, or are they just going to go back to uh, yeah, Singletary know. and Maparita? That's a good question. I really don't know. I—I I, I think it would depend on their game plan. Um, I think it would depend on, I hope Breida's dressed. I'm sure Singletary will be. The question, I think, is Zach Moss, whether Zach Moss is active or not. And that can depend on game plan. could depend on weather forecast, how much they want to run the ball. Um, it could depend on if, if you're going to activate Moss, where else are you taking one guy out? What position do you now look at and go, okay, we're going to go one shorter at this spot because we're going to go longer at running back because they're going to have Taiwan, uh, Taiwan Jones would be active. And assuming Reggie Gilliam is healthy, he'd be active. So that's what? That's five backs. A lot of backs to have active for a game for a team that really doesn't run the ball that much. So I'm not sure what's going to happen Monday night. I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if Moss is inactive again and they just roll the dice with Singletary and Breida. Okay. Last bill question, and then we'll just – couple of Sabres questions, and then I just wanted to uh, end the podcast with uh, your New York Mets, because I know you're a huge Mets fan, too. Uh, this one, I'm just going to wrap up for the Bills. Thoughts on Sean McDermott and the coaching staff so far, and Brandon Bean, and in the offseason, what do you feel the Bills should look to address uh, with this roster for 2022? Yeah, I think they've been fine. You know, I don't have any major bones to pick with the coaching staff. You know, I, I think some fans have been unhappy with Brian Dable, I don't know that anybody's really called about Leslie Frazier on the defensive side, but I think some teams, some fans have been unhappy with Brian Dable. Some want him to run the ball more. I think it's more of a, if I had any question, it's a personnel usage. Why do they wait so long to use Burita? Although geez, the same thing happened in Miami when the Dolphins signed him. I thought that's a nice pickup. You know, he can help your running game and they, they never used him. And he comes here and we look at it and go, all right, that's, that's, you know, he's got some speed that Singletary and Moss wouldn't bring to the equation. So use them and they don't. And then they finally put him in for the last couple of weeks and he's been productive. So that Gabriel Davis seems to have a diminished role, you know, um, maybe, you know, are they married to the 11 personnel too much? I think there have been some moments where you might talk about um, formations or player usage and snap counts. But outside of that, I think the coaching staff has been fine. Yeah. With Bean, geez, Chris, I guess, you know, it's so hard to predict injuries, but cornerback was an area where we thought going into the season, they didn't bring in a veteran guy for competition. It was Levi Wallace against Dane Jackson. Levi wins the competition and they still didn't feel the need to bring in 
veteran depth at cornerback. Hopefully that doesn't come back to haunt them now. Um, that's probably a, I don't know, maybe, I was going to say maybe some offensive line stuff. But again, you know, how much can you plan for COVID issues or injury issues? You don't know what the future is going to hold. So I, I think Bean's done a, a good enough job with the roster. You know, I haven't thought honestly much about next season. I'm pretty sure they're gonna they're gonna address wide receiver because Sanders is on a one year deal. Beasley's got one year left, and and with his body breaking down, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they walk away from his contract with one year left. McKenzie's on a one year deal, um, so you'd have you got Diggs, you got Davis. Who knows what they think about Isaiah Hodgins, Kumaro? Right, they have to address wide receiver in the offseason. I'm sure they're going to address offensive line and specifically the interior of the offensive line. Um, wouldn't be surprised if they address defensive tackle. Uh, so that's, I think, you know, and, and maybe cornerback too. Those are some of the areas I think they would address in the offseason. Well, one thing too, um, who knows what's going to happen at the end of this year, but the foundation for this franchise has been built, and I, I see this team being competitive for at least another five years or so. Hope so. Should be. Should you know, be, the, yes. the, the way they've managed their contracts, maybe not five years, but at least in the short term, Bean's been very good. I mean, he locked up Josh Allen, but Bean's been very good about extending other guys, not just the big contracts like Trey White and Deion Dawkins and Josh Allen, but smaller extensions like the Poyers and the Hides of the world, like locking in guys for two, three years down the road. So if you look at their cap situation, they don't have a lot of cap space, but they've really, they don't have a lot of big free agents next year or, and they just re-signed or extended Teron Johnson. They don't really have a lot of big free agents next year. I got to look two years down the road, but they're in pretty good shape with the core of this team being under contract for at least a two to three year window. How's your cap situation looking for, for the, for next year as well? I haven't, honestly, I haven't checked it. It's not a lot. I mean, they, I'm sure they're, they, I'm going to guess it's under 10 million, but I honestly haven't checked it in a while. But they don't. They will not have a ton of cap space in the off season. Okay, and that's a huge thing nowadays in sports. Is the cap is especially in football. Uh, that's where it can make you or break you if you uh, if you don't uh, manage it uh, reasonably well. But again, you can always you can create cap space. You know, that's you can true. cut guys. Cole Beasley would be again is one of the guys on the list. Did they move away from Starla Tulale? He's got a big cap number. So you. You know, you can always create more space. You'll create dead money, which they don't really prefer to have. But they can move. If they released some guys off this roster, you know, are they re-signing Hughes and Addison? So, you know, they, they can create space in other ways, including releasing guys. And I, I believe the TV contract uh, sets in next year. I think the cap will be going up next year in 2022, I believe. I don't remember if it's 22 or 23. Three. Okay. I think it's 23, but I would, I, would, I, I believe, I'm sure the cap's still going to go up. I mean, they had fans back, so it shouldn't be a flat cap. They just had revenue. Revenue is going to be back up this year. We've, we're back to full stadiums. Yeah. So at least that will help the salary cap. I don't recall exactly when, but I thought it was 23. Um, don't quote me on that for the okay. TV contract. Okay. All right. No problem. And just a couple of Sabres questions, and then I'll finish it up with your New York Mets. Thoughts on the 21-22 Sabres so far? Who has been a surprise and maybe somebody who's been a disappointment for the Sabres so far? Tage Thompson. I, I mean, I has been a huge surprise because, quite honestly, I think, you know, for most Sabre fans, you were just looking at that as nothing came back from the O'Reilly trade. And why are they? why do they keep saying they're excited about Tage Thompson? He's having a really good season. And not only did, you know, did you write him off, but then you heard, what, they're going to put him at center? That's a really important spot. And he's really flourished this year. He's scoring. He's creating. He's bringing some energy to the game. He's using that. He's got a really hard shot. You know, he's getting power play time. He's on a he's, – he's really had a – that line has been very effective that they've put together. I think they've played well, those three guys. So I think he is at the top of the list. Um disappointments i was gonna say skinner's not really a surprise we knew he could still score oh yeah you know in his role he it, everything was just so bad with kruger but jeff skinner's scoring again not at a 40 goal pace but he he's a 20 to 25 goal scorer regularly in this league should be still and so i wouldn't say surprise i'm just kind of glad to see him scoring disappointments you know i i hate to do this but darlene just still has some nights and some moments where you just kind of you know, I, I, I've tried not to, 
I just just try and look at Rasmus Dahlin as can he be a one-two pairing, a top pairing defenseman in the National Hockey League, which does require a lot, by the way. Not is this guy going to be one of the greatest defensemen, generational, unbelievable. That's a lot of pressure to put on a kid, too. So I try not to do that. But I judge him against that role that he plays. And there are still, I know the other night he had a couple giveaways on the power play. There are still some times where he struggles in the defensive zone. Some of his decision-making, some of his lapses in coverage, some of his passes. I, I, I hate to say disappointment because I don't think he's playing badly. But he has high expectations. So that's the only guy that I could think of. I just need him to be a little bit better, a little bit more consistent. Um, and hopefully that'll come in time as he gets a little more experience and plays for Granado a little bit more. I was going to say consistency summed it up. He's also a, still a young player, so I wouldn't give up on him quite yet. And also have the Sabres thought about bringing somebody in to maybe work a little more with Dallin, like his defensive game? Well, they have, oh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. He's still in the organization. Oh, this is terrible. This is one of those senior moments. Uh, it happens. Dan Girardi. Who was, okay. used to play in the NHL. You remember him, of course. Right? Yes. So he was yes. on the coaching staff last season. I'm pretty sure he's still in the organization in an advisory capacity. And I thought, like, they gave him a lot of credit. Granado did after the coaching change. Gave him a lot of credit for working with Darlene and Yoki Haru. Quite honestly, both of those guys struggled under Kruger. And I thought they were both playing better when Granado took over and Girardi came in and started working with them. So I think he's, I think he's still in the organization. If he is, I'm sure He's still doing work with Rasmus Dahlin. Okay. And, and hopefully this... Pesic is helping him too. You know, Pesic's a veteran defenseman. Pairing him with him, I think, can help a, a guy like Dahlin as well. What's the status with Craig Anderson? Is he going to be out for a while? Who knows? It, it's There's no timeline on him. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, and that's – look, they need him back. You know, I the goaltending has uh, not been good. I mean, Aaron Dell has really struggled. They don't want to bring in UPL yet up from Rochester. And so that puts a lot on – Dustin Tokarski's plate and look, you know, he'll have some nights. He can have it just had two or three good games in a row. And then not so good. He's just, he's not a guy who should be a number one goalie. He should be a guy who's a backup plays 15, 20 games. I'm not sure that Craig Anderson can handle a big workload either at his age, but he is the best of the goalies. And, you know, on a team that's going to give up chances, they, the style they play, trying to look to attack and be aggressive. They're going to leave their goalies out to dry sometimes. And I think, Anderson is more equipped at handling nights like that in an onslaught, if that comes, than, say, Tokarski and Dell. So there's no word. I don't think there's an exact timeline from when he's going to be back, but they could use him back. I was going to say the Sabres, I still don't think they'll make the playoffs this year. But from what I've seen so far, they're a heck of a lot more competitive and more entertaining to watch yeah. than they were last year. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. And honestly, that was my, like, you know, you, you were asking the thoughts on the season, or I, I was like, you know, the record's not good, but quite honestly, I wasn't really expecting much. I mean, we, we right, we all thought they're going to be probably near the bottom of the conference and, you know, not playing meaningful games after the first of the year because, the, you know, they're, they're, this is not the team that Kevin Adams uh, envisions going forward. It's got some of the pieces, but a lot of the pieces they envision going forward are in Rochester or at the University of Michigan or in Europe, you know, scattered all over the place, playing in juniors or college, what have you, or the minors. So for me, this season was all about, let me see the young guys develop. You know, Tage Thompson, great. Cousins looks good. Um, I like Asplund. I like Olofsson. I think Olofsson's become a better overall hockey player. I'd like to see Darlene be more consistent. So that's what this season's about. It's watching those guys. And if eventually, you know, the Quins or the Paterkers or the Krebs come up, Casey Middlestat's supposed to return to the lineup tomorrow night. He was a big story going into the season. You know, could he handle one of those top two center spots? How would his development turn out? Hopefully he follows the Tage Thompson track here and really plays at a higher level, and that would really make things better for the Sabres too. So my, my thoughts on the season were always, how do the young guys look? Are they getting better? Do they have the right coach? Please play entertaining hockey. And they've played entertaining hockey. And even the other night, yeah, they gave up seven. They scored four. I mean, they're, they're scoring goals. If you're losing, if you're going to lose games, go 6-4, 5-4, 6-5, as opposed to, you know, score a goal and try and hang on and lose 2-1. So they are they are more, more entertaining to watch. Um, and that's, I think that's honestly all I was looking to get out of this season. It had nothing to do about the record because I was expecting them to miss the playoffs. 
At least there seems to be stability with the team now with Granado as the head coach and Adams looks like he's going to be there a while. So, and they do have some key young players in play on the roster and in Rochester. So it's just going to take a little more time to get this team uh, back into the playoffs, unfortunately. Yeah. You know what? I think I would expect more from them next season, you know, depending on the guy. I mean, there could be a number of different faces here next season. Power should be here. I think all those guys in Rochester will be here. Quinn, Krebs, Paterka, full-time. Um, maybe UPL's handling the goaltending chores next season. So some of those prospects and guys they're counting on will start funneling in next season. So I think, I don't know about playoffs, Chris, who knows, but they should be much more competitive next season. And if it doesn't happen next season, you'd like to believe by two years down the road they'd be a playoff yeah. team again. Well, look what uh, the Red Wings, it's taken them five, six years yeah. to get back to this level. And even Steve Eiserman, he's uh, he's only been there back since 2019, and he's done quite a job getting the, the Wings back to respectability, but it's still a work in progress as well. Yeah. So Yeah, they're in a wild card spot today. I didn't even realize that. I was looking at the standings yep. this morning, so... And yep. it, they've been down for a long, long time. So well, well yeah, the that, last yeah. five years. Eiserman yeah. uh, got that goalie from Carolina, and Carolina yeah. basically gave him away. And he, he's still a rookie goalie, and uh, he's been really good. And uh, I'm just hoping the Wings can just continue to keep making progress. And I think your Sabers will get there as well at some point. Yeah, I, I do. I feel good. You know, I, I think they do have the right coach. I like a lot of things that he says that he believes in philosophically about how to coach the game, how to play the game. We had him on the other day and he, you know, I, I forget, maybe we were talking about his aggressive style and all that. And he said something about how I, he can't envision, you know, playing hockey games and losing two to one. Like what's the point? So I think he's done a lot of positives. I think he, that a number of guys have developed and gotten better. Some young guys, some veteran guys, again, Skinner's playing better. He's being used the right way. But he's playing better under Granado. So I think there's a lot to like about him. And like you said, Adams appears to be here and making some good moves on paper. But there's still so many parts that have to come together to make you feel a lot better about the Sabres and the future. I think uh, removing Jack Eichel was a big thing, too. Uh, getting him out of that organization and having him move on. And you got some good young players from Vegas on that trade. Well, I'm never a fan of moving out the best player on your franchise. I just... I, I, I'm, I'm sure he was unhappy. Quite honestly, if I were in his shoes, I'd be unhappy. I'd be tired of losing for five years and I'd be tired of watching other teams get in the playoffs. I'd be tired of a dysfunctional organization. And that's, so I, I, I have no gripes with how he might've been unhappy and wanted out. Cause I would have wanted out. If I was Reinhardt, I would have wanted out. If I was him, there's no way I would have resigned here. So I, it, to me, it's never a good idea to trade your best player. We'll see how it turns out. Well, place it a fresh start too. I was gonna say, what's the time frame for him to come back into the lineup for Vegas? March, I think. I haven't March. seen anything recently, but I think okay. at the time of the trade, and then he had the surgery right after that. And I thought I had, I thought I had read that they were talking. Well, the, the, I was gonna say the shutdowns in February, so they were, I think, post Olympic shutdown was the time frame. Well, and the only good thing about the trade, I know how much you like Eichel, is they got him into the Western Conference. So uh, it's not like it's going to be, you're going to be playing right. him eight, 10 times a year, like Boston or, or Detroit or whatever. So you're yeah. going to see him maybe once or twice a year. So, uh, and the last question I wanted to ask you, Howard, I don't want to keep it too much longer, is New York Mets related? Because I know you're a huge Mets fan. Thoughts on the current state of your New York Mets and signing former Tiger pitcher Max Scheitzer to a monster deal, 43 million a year, yeah. and losing shortstop second baseman Baez to my uh, Detroit Tigers. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I love Scherzer. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of paying a pitcher $43 million. It's not my money. Uh, Steve Cohen's money. I'll do my best to help him out. I'll buy tickets to a couple games next season. Love Scherzer. Just the guy is a battler. He's an amazing pitcher. He is a workhorse. You don't have to worry about pitch counts and innings limits. You give him the ball, he's going to go out there and give you everything he's got, as much as you want him out there. Um, I mean, I mean, just, you know, since he had been in Washington, seeing him as often as we would as Mets fans against the Nationals, I, that guy so hard to, pit, to hit against. And he's – so I love the pickup. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the pickup. I just wasn't sure about $43 million for a non-position player. But he's great. They needed him. Their rotation fell apart last year. They lose Syndergaard. Doesn't look like Stroman is resigning. Um, and and really, you know, last year, 
Taiwan Walker tailed off. Carrasco was injured. They had a lot of problems in the rotation after DeGrom and Stroman. So they desperately needed Scherzer. And him and DeGrom at the top, it's a great one-two punch to have. I'm not surprised Baez, Baez is gone. They brought in a guy. They just signed somebody who could play second or third base for them. So he'll fill one of those two spots. Yeah, I think it's been a good offseason. Scherzer's the big signing. But they brought in a, an infi- some infield help. They brought in uh, uh, outfield help. They brought in Marte, right? And it sounds like they're still going to try and dress the bullpen a little bit, which they could probably need another arm or two. It's been a good offseason for them. I'm, you know. I'm the typical Mets fan. I'm, I'm not like sitting here talking world championship. But I honestly thought they were good enough to be in the playoffs last year. And a lot of things happened. Some of them were injuries. Some guys had awful years, Conforto among them. And it took Lindor a while to get going. So I'm, I'm hoping for better things. I like the signings. I think it's made them overall a better baseball team. And now we'll see who they decide to use as manager. Do you think Francisco Lindor will have an MVP type season next year? You think I would he'll just be like more comfortable? Have a full season next year. I mean, he was he was for a while there. He was you know Mendoza line territory, and you know you talked earlier about the contract with Josh Allen, and I, I I'm going to guess part of that was Lindor getting a massive contract and playing in New York. Now, granted, it could be worse. He could be with the Yankees, where he'd get raked over the coals even more than he would with the Mets. But you know, it was a it was a tough first half plus of the season for him, and I think he settled in after that. So I would I would hope his numbers get back to where they were in Cleveland. You know, MVP's asking a lot, but whatever. If, if his numbers get back to where he was, the Mets will be all the better for it. I would just like to see him be able to play well for a full season because that hurt. He was one of the many guys that, you know, when they were struggling before all the pitching injuries and their offense was struggling, Lindor was a big reason why they had those issues on offense. What do you expect from the Mets in 2022? Do you think there will be at least a wild card contender? Yeah, I absolutely like better be a wild card contender. They should be in the playoffs. You know, like I said, if if some of the bats come back the way they were with the additions, with the pitching, we'll see how the rotation fills out. Yeah, I do expect them. I know Atlanta is still going to be the team to beat in the division. Um, the way they played down the last month or two of the season and then in the playoffs, that's the Atlanta Braves team I expected. A lot of us were wondering where the heck are they um, up to whatever, August, when they turned it on. I think they're still the team to beat in the division, but the Mets should give them a run. And at the very least, you'd think second place in a wild card team next year. Mets uh, have any candidates for manager and general manager yet? Well, they got their general manager. Okay. Um, and he was just, I just saw a quote from him today. I guess they're going to start in, a, they, they have a list of candidates for, for manager um, I think they were going to start interviewing in about a week or so. I don't, I don't recall seeing any particular names matched up with the job, but they're not in a big rush. Um, they had to get their GM in place, and I think they had to get some of these signings done before the lockout, before bang baseball tonight at 11.59 p.m. If there's a lockout, it shuts down, and that stops free agency. So I think that was the important thing, get the GM in place, fix your baseball operations, get some contracts done before possibly a shutdown of the sport. Then they can interview the manager. Do you really think they can afford another shutdown? Because I know that I don't think they'll shut. Yeah, I don't think they're going to miss playing time. I I think this is hopefully it's just, uh, you know, a sense of urgency is created. If we're going to, you know, we're shutting down the sport, which means free agents can't sign. We were still months from spring training and workouts. So I don't I don't think it'll go that far. It is baseball. They are kind of stupid when it comes to labor. So but I I think this is maybe more of a. uh, a hope that this will just kind of push the negotiations along by throwing in a little urgency and saying, okay, we're locked down. You know, we'll see if it works. Cause I'm hoping cause the, ta- the taggers, the 2022 taggers, I expect to uh, compete for a wild card in the American league with the, the young talent they have assembled and then getting Erod from Boston and now Baez from the Mets. I really expect the taggers to be an 85 to 90 win team next year. Well, you'd like to believe baseball wouldn't be foolish enough to shut the sport down. It just doesn't make not. any sense. You just, it's just not an, it's not a good idea. Um, they got, they have so many other problems they're dealing with. A lot of things that are wrong with that sport. The absolute last thing you need to do is lock it down and shut people out. It would be a terrible move on their part. Definitely. And I'm going to let you. Just one last thing I wanted to ask you is where can my audience again find you on social media and when you and uh, Jeremy are on on the radio in the mornings? WGR 550. We have lots of Canadian listeners. I love that. We have a, definitely have a Southern Ontario presence. And, of course, the Odyssey app. 
and streaming online at the website. So you have many different ways to listen to us if you so desire. Me personally, I'd pick music, but that's just me. But if you want to listen to us, you can do any of that or just listen to us on demand on our website. Okay. I was going to say, Howard, I, I really thank you for coming on my podcast for the second time. I The first time was seven months ago. I'm like, where the heck is the seven months gone? It's flown by. Oh, yes, definitely. So, but uh, like I said, I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, hopefully maybe uh, after the Super Bowl or in the new year, we can uh, maybe talk a little more on New York Mets baseball as well. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me again, Chris. Hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you so much, Howard. Have a great day and uh, good luck to your bills on Monday night against those Patriots. We'll take it. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care. Have a good night. Bye-bye. You too. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast today with Howard Simon from WGR 550 in Buffalo. Uh, you can catch uh, the Howard and Jeremy show Monday to Friday from 6 a.m. to 10 p- uh, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on uh, WGR 550 in Buffalo. And uh, I really appreciate him talking about the Bills, previewing the Patriots game, and talking a little bit about the Sabres and uh, uh, the New York Mets as well. Um, just to let you guys know, I'm just going to show a little clip of a preview of the Bills uh, Patriots game this Monday night in Orchard Park. Get ready for an epic AFC East lightsaber duel that goes down on center stage. Monday night football in Buffalo, the Bills taking on the New England Patriots with division supremacy on the line. Bills Mafia feeling like they're watching Rise of Skywalker. Didn't Vader flip and turn good and throw that guy down the hole? How is he still alive? Good thing for them, they may have the Kylo Ren needed to take him out. Fourth and two on the boot. Jenkins is waiting with the pass. is caught by Dawson Knox, who has his second Thanksgiving night touchdown. Josh Allen bounced back from his last Jedi performance last week on Turkey Day, throwing for four TDs, a rating over 115. Screams it to Brita, working inside with the speed to the end zone for a Buffalo touchdown. Touchdown pass four on the night for Josh Allen. Kylo needed help, though, guys like Finn. In this analogy, played by Stephon Diggs, he scored versus the Saints. Allen looking at Diggs, going to Diggs. Diggs got it. Buffalo touchdown, Stephon Diggs. He typically draws the opponent's top corner, so that's where Captain Phasma comes in. Deflected and intercepted in the end zone! J.C. Jackson is Mr. Pick! Now you know why I went with Finn and not Ray. J.C. Jackson is one of the best corners in the league, so the Jackson Diggs one-on-one will be just as fun a showdown to watch as anything you see on a movie screen. And it's intercepted along the sideline! J.C. Jackson! But New England also has to worry about Dawson Knox. Has to be chewy, I guess. And he came back from injury and immediately made an impact. To the goal line and in for Dawson Knox! And a Buffalo touchdown! TD number six on the season for the tight end who continues to emerge. The Bills are a pass first, pass second, and pass third kind of team, which plays right into New England's defensive strength. They had few issues with Ryan Tannehill in Week 12. Their rankings against the pass in elite territory. And picked off. And they're going to mark out of bounds J.C. Jackson, but it is New England's ball. Not too many teams can say their pass defense is better than the Patriots, but the Bills are one of them. In fact, no team has been better against the pass. They dominated the Saints passing game. Shot there and a pick on cue. Jordan Poyer's got this one. And they've only allowed 250 plus yards twice all season. And that pass is intercepted. Micah Hyde's going to take it to the end zone. Look, there's always a down moment in Star Wars movies. Rebels always lose key players at some point. And finding out Trey Day was done for the year was like watching Ben turn off his saber. But New England does still have to try and hold off their pass rush, which also has been one of the best in football. Two more sacks to their total on Thanksgiving. Simeon, nothing open, and he will go down as Oliver's had three good plays in a row. Mac Jones, though, usually gets enough time to cook up some cheese. Pat's O-line giving up around two QB takedowns a game. Rush up the middle. Jones tripped up by Kevin Byer. Jones used his protection last week to put up 300-plus yards, close to 10 per attempt, rating over 120. Kids looking like the coolest apprentice since Maul. Jones up in the air. It's caught! Born touchdown! 
born ready. Jones has shown he can be the lead man when needed and be the game manager when that's needed. Reminds me of someone else that used to play in New England. It went Anakin to Luke, right? Jones, it's hauled in. Check Kobe Myers with the grab. Look, put all my stupid analogies aside. You've got probably the top two pass defenses in football. Over the middle, intercepted. Jordan Poyer intercepted. Mayfield has it picked off by Kyle Duggar. Against two of the best young QBs in the NFL with a lot on the line. To the end zone, Diggs has it. Touchdown. Jones, deep ball, and oh, somehow they blew the coverage. It's born to the end zone. Passing games on both sides will be center stage, making the run games the X-Factors. And unless you have Jonathan Taylor or the King, the Bills aren't easy to run on. Fourth and two, and they will go for it with a run. No chance. Mario Addison, who had a sack earlier, comes up with a tackle for loss here. The Pats didn't run a lot last week, but Pats fans know better than anyone. They have two guys that can lead the way on any given week. Pass runs into Trent Brown and keeps going for the touchdown. Nobody can stop him. From the six, it's a pitch. Good cut. Stevenson steamrolls in. Touchdown, New England. The Bills, on the other hand, don't usually run too much. Singletary to the left, cuts it up. Good hard run here by Singletary. Through another tackle. Still on his feet. 16-yard powerful run by an inspired Devin Singletary. And Josh Allen, of course, gets involved here as well. Allen's looking for a way out, and he's going to do it with his legs. Knocked down, but a first down at the 38-yard line for Josh Allen. And that's the question. Do they adapt to their opponent's strengths and weaknesses? New England gave up 270 rushing yards to a kingless Titans team on almost seven yards per carry. And Hilliard's got speed. He could go all the way. Touchdown. And more evidence of how good this game could be, both teams offenses are great on third and in the red zone. End zone. At the goal line. Touchdown. Off the fake. Throws. Touchdown. Okay. He's the and both are great on third down defensively. Third and ten for Simeon. Pressure hit as he threw. And incomplete. On third and three. Call the plays for Tennessee. Tannehill. And he backs into the rush. And guess who? Matt Judon. All right, leave your movie reviews in the comments section, AKA your predictions. We'll put our tomatoes on the screen. And thanks for putting up with that. I get bored sometimes, all right? Anyways, guys, uh, that clip is the courtesy of the NFL. Uh, the Pet Patriots Bills matchups Monday night, 815 from a high mark stadium in Bar Buffalo Orchard Park. CDP's prediction is New England wins 16 to 13. I think the weather might be a factor with the winds in Buffalo. And I just think New England is right now uh, a hotter and more consistent team than Buffalo. And you always got to go with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels over majority of coaching staffs. I really think the Patriots have the edge in the coaching staff. I think their defense is uh, a little bit better than Buffalo's. And the Patriots are a well-coached, smart team. They don't make mistakes. The Bills have turned the ball over, made some interceptions, and they haven't been consistent as well. The Bills might have a little more talent uh, than the Patriots, but overall, I think the Patriots are a smarter football team. I think the Patriots are going to win this game 16-13. to 13. Anyways, guys, uh, let me know what you think. And just to let you know, my next uh, CD. My next podcast, I can talk, next live with CDP podcast is going to be tomorrow, December 2nd, 4 o'clock Eastern, one on the West Coast. My guest will be Rick Zamperin, a longtime uh, radio personality from 900 CHML in Hamilton, and he was also the play-by-play -play radio voice of the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, for seven years. Rick's going to come on and talk about his career in radio, 20-year-plus year career, 20-plus career, 20-year-plus career in radio and uh, working in the Hamilton market and also his time as a Tiger Cats play-by-play -play announcer and also get some thoughts on the uh, CFL Eastern final between uh, the Toronto Argonauts and Hamilton Tiger Cats this Sunday afternoon at BMO Field and also uh, the Western final with Saskatchewan taking on the uh, defending Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Winnipeg on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I'm picking... Toronto and Winnipeg to meet in the Grey Cup this year. But 
we'll see what happens. Anything can happen as well. I hope everybody can tune into that podcast. And also, guys, just before I wrap it up, I normally do this as well. Live with CDP podcast, the audio version is downloaded onto Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and LinkedIn as well. And also StreamYard is the live official live stream provider of Live with CDP podcasts. And also, guys, or sorry, TikTok. You can follow me on uh, TikTok at Live with CDP, at Live with CDP on TikTok. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well, at Chris D. Pommy. That's at Chris D. Pommy on Twitter as well. And uh, like I said, guys, I'm looking forward to my uh, podcast tomorrow. Again, uh, it's going to be at 4 o'clock with Rick Zamperin from 900 CHML in Hamilton. And and, uh, and we'll talk uh, about his radio career there and also some uh, Tiger Cats football and some uh, CFL playoff action uh, this weekend, which I'm looking forward to. Again, I'm predicting Toronto and Winnipeg to meet in the Grey Cup this year. Anyways, guys, I just want to say thank you again to uh, Howard Simon from WGR 550 for coming on my podcast for a second time. And uh, we'll see what happens with the Bills and Patriots this Monday night at 8.15. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to call it a podcast. Thank you to everybody that watches this on my YouTube channel, Facebook Live, Twitter, and later on my uh, nine audio platforms as well. We'll see you guys tomorrow at 4 o'clock for another edition of Live with CDP Podcast with guest Rick Zamperin from 900 CHML in Hamilton. I hope you all have a good night, and we'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Thank you again for watching or listening to Live with CDP Podcast.